2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. So if you have a Bible or you have an app, go ahead and open that up. And it's a pretty simple text, all right? So the, the simplicity of the text sounds just like this. Are you ready? For God, and that's the first two words, for God. Now, I want you to stop there for a minute because right in those two words, we find some incredibly deep theology. For God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love, and self-discipline. Now, I I want to stop here, and guys, leave that up for a minute, because I want to stop on the for God part. See, what happens often to us in our world is that we wake up in the morning and we just assume, well, God's not involved in my space right now. I mean, I do God on Sunday, but let's face it, Monday morning, I got to get up and get going, Chuck. I ain't got time to do God. But, but I want you to think about this. Tomorrow morning when you arise, I want you to think for God. For God. Now, the reason I want to ask you to is that what we think about God is of utmost importance. Did you hear me? What we think about God is of utmost importance for God. A.W. Tozer once put it this way, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Is that a great line? For God. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. What you believe about God is of utmost urgency. Now, he said, but Chuck, I don't understand why that should be such a big deal. Like a big deal is I got to make that sale tomorrow. The big deal is I got to land that job tomorrow. The big deal, I got to get my kid to school tomorrow. The big deal is that I need my kid to do. I need my spouse to do. I need my boss to do. Whatever that is. And we're, we're going through world and we're forgetting about these two words in our world for God. And the for God part allows us to stop at times and we forget the fact that Walking in faith is all about for God. But sometimes we forget that there are things that God gave us and there are things that we take on that God didn't give us. Have you ever taken a gift that wasn't yours like, or like a piece of mail that comes in, you're opening all the other mail and all of a sudden you open something, it's like, hmm, right, that was not for me, right? I can remember I was, it was probably about 30 something and uh, we get this package, and I don't even look at it. It's on the front door. I open it up, tear it up, I look inside, and I thought, this is definitely not mine. I've never worn a bra in my life. <laughs> you know, I didn't take it. I, I looked, I realized who it was, and I thought, how can I seal this box up? Because, you see, sometimes we take things that aren't ours, and we claim to own them. God did not give us the spirit of fear or timidity. All right, now, you say, but, but wait a minute, Chuck. Some people stop believing Christianity, the story of God and his love for us humans, his creation. Not so much because they think that the story is false, but because they think it just doesn't work. I mean, I know people who've just walked away from faith. It just doesn't work for me, Chuck. Like, I prayed, I gave my life to Jesus, I did my thing, but... Come on, I mean, the magic didn't happen for me, Chuck. In short, let me put it this way. People don't always stop following Jesus, God's son, for intellectual reasons. Oftentimes, we're chasing a feeling. I know a lot of folks, they come to church, what they want is they want a feeling. 
Chuck, I want, I want you to make me feel good. Chuck, I want you to give me a story that makes me get like all tingly. I, I, when Jesus shows up in my life, I, I want him to do something that's like, oh. And sometimes you're there and it's like you don't get, oh. You get, mm. And you're like, I, I, I don't get it. But to those folks, the Jesus life, Christianity, just isn't satisfying anymore because we're chasing after a feeling. Have you ever noticed that fear always comes after feelings? Have you ever realized that insecurities always follow after feelings? That we we feel something and then we start believing something regardless of where we got it from. And maybe today we ought to chase that just a little bit. But I want you to, to chase after truth for a minute. We live in a world that says there's no value in truth. There's no such thing as true truth. Everything is relative. It's whatever you want it to be and whatever you believe it to be. Like there are folks watching online, the folks in the room right now are saying, you know what, Chuck? Christianity is true because it works. And there's other people in the room that would say Christianity works because it's true. Now, which one are you? Because see, when we get down to the, to the heart of it, if Jesus is really the son of the living God, if he literally gave his life, buried, cold, dead as a fish, but rose from the dead to sit next to the Father and praying for you right now, then it's not about what you feel. It is about the truth that Jesus did that for you, whether you feel it or not. Now, the challenge for us, though, is do we want to chase after truth? Do we want to chase after a feeling? Because we live in a society where we're more angry than we've ever been. We've got more anxiety than we've ever had. We've got more fear than we've ever coped with. And the challenge we have to ask ourselves is, is it because we're chasing after a good feeling or are we chasing after truth? Because I've learned this in my 61 years, six daughters, seven grandchildren, a handful of dog, and I know this. If you don't have truth, you have nothing solid to land on when your world falls apart. And if you're like me, our world is falling apart as fast as it can. You better have some place to land. There's got to be something that's going to hold you up. There's something that's got to endure all that. And you know, the Christian life proves more difficult, yes, but it also proves itself more true day after day after day. Here's the point. We don't follow Christianity merely because it makes us feel good or makes us emotionally satisfied, but because it is the truth. God loves you. But now watch this. God is love. So you can't have one without the other. It's like if if you don't know love, you can't receive love. If you're not loved, you don't have love. But God said, I am love. I am the very definition of love. I am the very presence of love. And I love you. How much? I love you so much that even though you've made all these choices that have gone against my desire for your life, my will for your life, I've chosen to give you my son as a gift. And in that gift, I'm going to allow him to die on a cross, have his body broken, shed his blood, be buried in a borrowed tomb, raised from the dead three days later, go to the disciples and say, the one thing I want to give you more than anything is peace, hang around for about 40 days, and then head to heaven to sit by the right hand of the Father. And watch this. And right now, praying for you. Come on. 
Not one amen? Not one. Are y'all as cold and dead as the nine o'clock crowd? I mean, let me try to say that one more time. Dead, buried, rose from the dead, hung around 40 days, gave the disciples peace that we now can have, went to sit by the right hand of the Father and is praying for you right now. Now, if you're sitting there and you're like, well, you know, whatever, you know. I guess the question I'd ask you is this. When Jesus walked through that door into the room where the disciples were gathering with fear and timidity, of all the things Jesus could have offered them, what did he deliver? He said, I've come to give you, what did he say? Peace. Say that with me. Peace. All right, now some of y'all said it like, you know, so what is it that he offered you? Peace. What is it you need? Peace. What is the greatest commodity in the world? Peace. Some of you just said gold. <laughs> but now watch this. Without peace, you're going to make bad decisions. With bad decisions, you're going to stray from God. When you stray from God, you strayed from truth. When you stray from truth, you're going to land where you never want to land and you don't have the rock that you can land on that has you on solid ground. But when you choose to say, wait a minute though, I do want to seek after truth. And when I take hold of that truth, I then know that God did not give me the spirit of fear nor timidity. That is not what he gave me, but I took it on. I opened a gift that wasn't mine. I took a package that wasn't for me because God's gift for you as a follower of Jesus is this. I will not give you a spirit of fear. I will not give you a spirit of timidity. I'm going to give you boldness. Now, listen, you may say, but Chuck, well, I don't understand. I think there's some things you could be afraid of. Well, of course there are. Like if you walk out in your backyard and there's a rattlesnake, you should be afraid of the snake. If you stand there and say, in the name of Jesus, I'm going to grab the snake, you're an idiot. I mean, serious, don't do that stuff, right? But if you wake up every morning, walk on your back porch and think, I'm afraid there might be a snake there, we have a problem. Are you with me? See, one fear is healthy. The other fear is manufactured. Jesus didn't give you manufactured fear. But timidity is a whole nother word. Timidity is when you live in a world. I want you to get this picture, all right? I want you to get, timidity is when you shut down, you close up, you hang on to what little you've got thinking you've got control of the world because if you get outside that shell, then you might get hurt. But he said, I didn't give you a spirit of timidity. I gave you a spirit of what does he say? Power. Come on. You know what? Here's what I love about Jesus. Jesus didn't die, buried, rose from the dead, gone to heaven to pray for me today for me to sit there and think I don't have anything to offer the world. The single greatest thing we offer the world is Jesus himself. The world doesn't need more of me. The world doesn't need more of you. But I'm promising you, you know why he filled you with him? Because you are here to tell the world, not with fear, not with timidity, but with power. Jesus did this for me. He gave me life today. He gave me life eternal. What are we waiting on? Seriously, what on earth are we waiting on? You say, but now, if God is real and he made all things then we would expect that following him would lead us to a blessed life, right? And then you'd say, but where's my blessed life, Chuck? I mean, Chuck, do you, do you know, I mean, 
I'm going through an awful divorce. My, my kids are going crazy. I'm trying to take care of my elderly parents. I mean, I lost my job. I'm broke as can be. I mean, Chuck, that doesn't sound like a blessed life to me. Okay, hang on just a second. Do what I do for just a minute. Just put your hand like this. Put your thumb down. All your fingers down. Put them back up. They work. Now watch this, watch. I didn't smell gunpowder. I, I didn't smell death. I didn't smell destruction. You know, I drew in air. It's his breath in our lungs. And we will pour out our praise. Are you with me? I don't think you're with me, but are you with me? You say, what? Well, all right, Chuck, what kind of power did he give me? Watch this, power to love. He said, well, Chuck, I don't need power to love. Oh, I promise you, you need power to love. Oh, yeah. You know what? Because if you wear a mask, you need power over those people giving you the stink eye. If you don't wear a mask, you need power over the other people giving you the stink eye. If you were vaccinated... There are people telling you that you just bought into the machine. If you weren't vaccinated, then you're just people that just don't want to help save the whole world. If you voted blue, people hate you. If you voted red, people hate you. You want to fight over what we do in schools. You want to fight over whether we have apartments or not. You, you want to fight about roads. We are living in a place where we worship freely. We are fighting over the silliest things on the planet when we have truth to chase after. And why are Christians buying into the fear and the timidity of this society and all the narrative that comes with the world's falling apart? Jesus is on the throne. The world is not falling apart. It takes power to love folks that don't like you, doesn't it? Has it ever occurred to you that there are people that don't like you? It's shocking, isn't it? Shocking. So I was in my office with a couple not long ago, and uh, we were talking about different things in the community, and the husband looked at me, and literally, this is what he said. He said, well, you know, Chuck, there are a lot of people in Sugar Hill who don't like you. And I thought, no kidding. I mean, I've heard from most of them. Right? Like you walk down the mall, the mall of Georgia, you're walking down the hall and you look at somebody and you know what happens to all of us? We put them in a cubby hole. And I don't like them. Mm -mm, no. At that same time, somebody's looking at you going, mm -mm, don't like them. Mm -mm, no. Because we, we've decided that it's not, we don't have the power to love people different than us. We don't have the power to love people that have a different skin color than ours. We don't have the power to look at people who vote different than us. We don't have the power to look past people who disagree with our theology. We don't have the power to look past a preacher who doesn't preach the way we do or a church that doesn't do like we do. Or we don't have the power to look past a teacher who's doing all she can do, but we want to hammer them for what they're called to do. What I would say to you is you've been given the power to look past all of that foolishness, get above the crowd, and look down with the eyes of Christ and say, but my job as a believer to love you. And to do that, the first step is stop yakking about everybody and stop pointing a finger at everybody. 
Jesus did not give you the power to find more problems. He gave you the power to find solutions in him, the power to love. But watch this. He gave you the power to forgive. Hello. And it's like, Chuck, now you're messing with me. Yeah, I didn't come here to hear about forgiveness. I don't want to do forgiveness. No, thank you. Uh Uh-uh. Do you know what they did to me? Well, it doesn't matter. Because, see, the problem is forgiveness is an inside job. Forgiveness isn't when you go to somebody and say, I just forgive you for being such a knucklehead. I mean, that's always a blessing. I had a dude call me one time a couple of years ago, and he said, you know, Pastor, when you first got here, I hated your guts. And I thought, well, bless the Lord. How about that? And he said, but you know, I've grown to like you a little bit. And I thought, well, okay, we're, we're moving in the right direction, you know. But the power to forgive is an inside job. You know what I've learned? You'll never experience the power of Christ until you learn the power to forgive. It, doesn't this sound oddly Jesus-like? for him to say that if you want to be forgiven, you must what? Forgive. So you say, well, Chuck, if I'm going to get Jesus the right priority in my life, you mean I got to love people and I got to forgive people. Well, if you're going to be more like Christ, yeah. But if you want to be more like the world, just keep pointing fingers and shouting names at folks. I mean, it's your choice, right? But then the third one is you got the power to live. You got the power to go out there and live. You don't have to, you don't have to cower down. You don't have to hide. Nobody here is busting you because you came to church today. And by the way, you don't have to scream at the schools. There's no prayer in school. That's hogwash. We pray at these schools every day. And what I would argue to you is the vast majority of educators I know in the Lanier cluster, they're praying over their classroom every day. And by the way, if you say, well, you know, they just won't let me go in and grab a microphone and pray. Well, why don't you sit in your car in a parking lot and pray for them? Because if you think you need a microphone and a platform to pray, you missed everything about prayer. You got the power to love. You got the power to forgive. You got the power to live. But then he also said, I'm going to give you power and I'm going to give you love. You You say you got power to love. I thought you already covered that, Chuck. He's going to give you the ability to love God with all your heart, mind, and soul. Now, you know, Jesus was asked, what's the most important thing in the world? And what did Jesus say? Love God with all your heart, mind, and soul. Love others as you love yourself. And then Jesus went on and doubled down on it and said, listen, all the other rules, all 600 plus of them, all of those don't matter if you don't do this. So like when people come to me and say, Chuck, I wish you'd preach about this or that. I wish you'd preach about alcohol or tobacco or gambling or whatever. Preach about, that's just not going to happen here. You know why? Because I believe with every ounce of my being, when you get Jesus in the right priority of your life, all these other things are going to get right. But until you get that right, all this other stuff doesn't matter. You know why? Jesus said this is what matters. Love God with all your heart, mind, and soul. Love others as you love yourself. He gave you the power to love God. But watch, he'll give you the power to love others. Remember what we talked about earlier? Bible's a big deal. Jesus is a big deal. Why? So that we can serve people in Christ's name. I don't care if they're black, brown, white. I don't care if they're rich or poor. I don't care if they need mental health or they need food. Whatever the need is, let us step in and be a people that love Jesus so much that we will trust the power that he's given us to love people in his name. Period. No question mark. And then, come on, if you're going to clap, clap. You know I hate that golf clap stuff. It's like we're trying to figure out whether we like it or not, right? And then finally, a love of self. 
And you say, well, Chuck, I'm out on that one. Uh-uh, I'm out on that one. The love of self, mm-mm. You know, I looked in the mirror this morning, and honestly, I looked and I thought, you, you're losing your hair. What, what, what hair you got left gray? I mean, come on, Chuck. I mean, could you get more frumpy than you are? You're not, I mean, you're not the sharpest blade in the drawer. You're not the brightest bulb in the chandelier. I mean, come on, Chuck. What gives you the right to stand up there and talk about Jesus? There's so many better, better preachers than you. Come on, Chuck. And then I thought to myself about what we're talking about today, and I looked back in the mirror, and I thought to myself, all of a sudden I saw past all that insecurity, and I saw a child of the king. And then I saw that it's not my power, it's his. It's not my love, it's his. And if I'll just take that on, I don't have to worry about my insecurities. I got his security. Maybe tonight when you look in the mirror, you might look past those insecurities, look and say, but I know that I'm a child of the king. I know who I am. I know what power I've got. I know what love I've got. When Kelsey read Psalm 27, she said, the Lord is my light and my salvation. So why should I be afraid? The Lord is my fortress, protecting me from danger. So why should I tremble? Friend, listen, the battle is his, not yours. And when you get those roles reversed and you start fighting the battle, can I just assure you, I don't care who you are, you're going to lose. But if you'll let him fight for you, you're the winner. This is the greatest deal ever. You say, well, what's that third one he gives us, Chuck? Well, the scripture that we use came out of the New Living that said self-discipline. How many of you would consider yourself a self-disciplined person? Can I see your hand? Let me just see. Okay, how many of you consider yourself liars? I'm kidding. You don't have to raise your hand on that. All of a sudden, they're like, yeah, that's me. All right, what if you heard self-discipline this way? A sound mind. Now, all of a sudden, you said, uh-uh, not me. I didn't get the third one. I know my husband didn't right? But what if a sound mind, what if, what if we defined a sound mind this way? What if the top of your mind is a funnel and you voluntarily took the lid off of it? And each day you ask God, your creator, to fill that funnel with wisdom so that it dripped into your soul and your mind and your body all day long. And you could have the discipline of building a sound mind in Christ to the degree that you would receive wisdom from on high. Come on. But now watch this. Do you know what I've learned about having wisdom from on high, discipline and a sound mind? That it leads us to one thing. It leads us to peace. I mentioned a minute ago that when you don't have peace, you don't make good decisions. But when you are at peace, you make great decisions. When you're not at peace, you ruin relationships. But when you are at peace, you build relationships. When you are not at peace, your anxiety raises. When you're at peace, it rules in your soul. And you say, well, Chuck, I want some of that. I, I want that. That's, that's what I want. Over in Matthew 28, Jesus is about to unpack the Great Commission. 
He's about to say that what we need to do is go. We need to go make disciples. We need to baptize people. We need, this what we're, we, this, I, Jesus is about to unpack. I'm, I'm going to give you all authority under heaven. But Jesus it makes a point with his 11 that are remaining. He says, he, he says now we're going to go up on this mountain and, and there they go. And when they saw him, they worshiped him. You see, when you see deity, you can't help but worship him. When, when you walk in the presence of Jesus, you don't put your hands in your pocket and go, yeah, yeah, that's pretty cool. They fell and they worshiped him. They worshiped the Savior. See, they had walked with him. They had talked with him along life's narrow way. They had seen Jesus look at dead people and say, get up, and they did. They had seen Jesus look up to lepers, touch them, and be healed. They had seen Jesus drop wisdom on people that they couldn't even fathom. But listen, after they worshiped him, the text says, but some of them doubted. Hey, if I lost you, come back right here. Watch this. I don't think they doubted that he was Jesus the Christ. I think they doubted that he would give them the power he promised. And so they cowered and they doubted. Well, surely you don't mean me, do you? I mean, Jesus, I'm a fisherman still. Jesus, I'm a zealot still. Jesus, I'm still a tax collector. And I, I don't see it in the text, but listen to what Jesus said. I've been given all authority in heaven and on earth. And then he says, and I'm giving it to you. And some of us are still sitting around thinking, but I'm still a tax collector. But I'm still a zealot. But I'm just a fisherman. And Jesus is saying, no, you're not. I died for you. I rose for you. I'm sitting next to the right hand of the Father right now praying for you. Because you, my friend, when you choose Jesus, you are a child of the living God. Who has been given power and love and a sound mind. What on earth are we waiting for? Paul said uh, to the church in Corinth that Jesus gathered with the disciples. And I don't know about you, but if I'm one of the 12 sitting there and Jesus says, now, fellas, we've been together a few years now. And we've seen some incredible things. But I want to give you something that you never forget. I'm going to give my body to be broken. And I'm going to surrender my life for my blood to be spilt. Because I want you to be able to have forgiveness. Because without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. And I bet those guys sat there like we sit here today and say, but I'm not worthy of that. Can't you hear Jesus saying, but but it's not about whether you're worthy, it's the fact that I love you. Love you enough to see past all that insecurity. Love you enough to see past all of the mess. Love you enough to see past all the bad decisions, but I love you. Paul goes on and he says, the Lord Jesus took some bread and he gave thanks. How cool is that? Today when you came in, you received a little packet that's got a pen and a card in it. Would you pull that out? 
One of the things I love about how we do communion here at Sugar Hill is that we invite people to come to the Lord's table. We don't pass a tray because we believe there's something symbolically beautiful about having to get up and come to the Lord's table. There's an action that's connected to them coming to the Lord's table. But what we always do is we, we walk down an aisle and we take the juice and this, this bread or whatever's in there. And, and when we do that, we just take. Sometimes I think when we do that, we forget that But Jesus said to remember him. Sometimes I think what happens is we start to remember when we have communion. We stop and we remember Jesus' death. And we forget that that is not a picture of sorrow. That's a picture of power. We forget that that death followed a Sunday where he rose from that death, which represents love. And Jesus gives us his spirit when we ask him to that he might give us a sound mind. Could I get one amen? Now watch this. I want you to take that card and I want you to write down whatever it is that stands between you and experiencing God's best in his power and his love and a sound mind for you. Because today, we're gonna come to the Lord's table and we're gonna leave and then we're gonna take. Because I want you to come to the Lord's table and I want you to leave whatever that insecurity is, whatever that fear is, whatever that anxiety is. I want you to have a, a faith today that would understand that God did not give you the spirit of fear or timidity, but he gave you power and love and a sound mind. And you can take whatever that fear and anxiety is. And I want to ask you to name that on that card. And I want you to bring it to the Lord's table. And I want you to leave it there. You don't have to put a name on it. Jesus knows what you're praying for. But when you come to the Lord's table, just come leave that and then take those elements back to the seat. You know why? We're coming to the Lord's table. We're coming to the Lord's table. And we are going to remember his broken body. We're going to remember his shed blood. But we're going to remember it because without that broken body, without that shed blood, there is no remission of sin, there's no power, there's no love, and there's no sound mind. That's worth remembering, but it's also worth claiming. So I want to give you just a meditative moment to write out on your card what that is. And the minute you're done, Step to any of the tables around the room. Leave your card. I mean, if you're shy about it, put it face down. If you need to write a novel about it, connect with clearpathcounseling.org. The minute you're done writing, come to the table. You get your elements, and then we'll remember together.
disciples sitting there thinking surely Lord you're not going away are you Lord you have to be here all the while Jesus knowing oh fellas I'm not going anywhere I'm giving you my gift of my spirit and when he comes he's going to turn this place upside down because he's coming with power and he's coming with love and he's coming that you might have a sound mind bless God Jesus took the bread have you ever noticed that breaking and blessing comes together sometimes we just got to recognize Jesus needs to break us a little bit before he can bless us Lord Jesus we thank you for your broken body and we hear your instructions loud and clear Lord that we are here to remember you this is not about us This is not about this church. This is about you. We remember your body broken for us and we praise you for that in the name of Jesus and everybody said, amen, and they ate. I'm not sure what kind of goblet Jesus broke the wine out in. But I can see him in my mind's eye pouring it and and from a container to a cup I can see that rich royal ruby, ruby red liquid falling into that cup and Jesus saying now fellas that's a picture of my blood that I'm going to shed for you and then thinking, but Jesus, you, you don't have to do that. All the while knowing he was the perfect lamb of God. He was the last way in which we could have forgiveness. And Jesus said, but I'm going to give that to you. And when you drink this, are you ready? He didn't say when you drink this, walk an aisle. He didn't say when you drink this, join a church. He didn't say when you drink this, you need a priest, a pope, or a pastor. He said, when you drink this, do these things. Remember me. And they drank. You know, I think the disciples were a feisty group of fellas. There is no way they got done with Jesus walking them through the broken body and the shed blood. And they said, what's for dessert? Because you you can't come face to face with the son of the living God and not praise his name. Zach, let's don't play around with it. Let's let's do a little come on, let's worship the Lord before we go. Come on. Y'all don't play with it now. Don't be playing. Come on, church. Come on. Oh, yeah. 
Jesus we've been talking about. Let him go before you and make a way and make your crooked path straight. That's what he does. Let him go within you and bring you peace and joy, fulfillment and contentment because watch this, he is always good and you are always loved. And when days do get difficult, let that Jesus come along behind you and pick you up and carry you, not around the problem, but right through the middle of it, only to set you down victoriously on your two feet and wipe away your tears and kiss you on the forehead and wrap his loving arms around you so you can see your Savior eyeball to eyeball as he says to you, my child, say it with me, I love you. God bless you, church. Go in peace.
I'll see you soon. Yes, sir. Yep. How are you? Doing good. What about you? Doing good. Yeah, you guys just celebrated the anniversary, right? We will soon. Okay, coming soon. Same. And you, look, you look mostly the same, just the hair. Yeah, just the like hair. You haven't, you haven't, yeah. but you haven't like aged. Yeah, that's good.
inside when he said that, and I, I lost it. Yeah, like, we had, you know, as crazy as that season was, and we were having 